0: Christmas. Hey, um, good afternoon. Well, really, we've been working really, really hard to say good afternoon and not good morning or good, good evening because it's just a weird time of day. Uh, my name's Phil. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor here at the church. Um, love to get a chance to meet you after the service if you're up for that. But um, I gotta say, I absolutely love Christmas Eve service. Like it is, w- without a doubt, it is my favorite. We do this every week except for the week next week. I'll tell you that later. But every single week, fifty-two or fifty-one. I can do math. 51 Sundays a year, we do church service, and this is my favorite one. is Christmas Eve service. I love everything about it, man. I love the, the lights, the the songs, the atmosphere, the candles we're going to light in a little bit. I even love the idea that keeps running through the back of my mind that after this service, I'm going home to put a beef tenderloin on the smoker for dinner tonight. Mm. Okay, I love that. I love the message of Christmas Eve, the message of Christmas. This this idea, this simple reality that, that, that God became human, that Jesus was born, our Savior was born, and I love that. But the danger, there's a danger in all that as well, and the danger is, is that I'm so familiar with the story, and maybe you are as well, that it almost becomes normal to where we can be like, oh yeah, Jesus was born, I've heard that before, can we move on to the next thing? Uh, and I, I recognize that's a challenge, and so here's what I want to, I want to ask of you tonight over the next couple of minutes. Would you please, to the best of your ability, whether this is your first time hearing the story of the birth of Jesus or your 101st time, try to imagine you're hearing this for the first time. To try to put yourself in that place where no one's ever heard this before, this has never been preached before, this message has not been changing the world for 2,000 years like it has, like this is the first moment that you have ever heard this. In fact, we're going we're to look at the account of, of some shepherds receiving this message and receiving this good news And I want you to, I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds or the sandals of the shepherds, whatever they had, the bare feet of the shepherds, and just imagine what it would have been like to see this, to hear this. What does it sound like and look like? What does it smell like? What what feelings arise in you as you hear this message proclaimed? And so here's where the story has been so far getting up to that point. For several months, angels had been showing up, uh, declaring this message, hey, go, get ready, because God's about to do something in the world. God's about to do something in the world. He's going to do something through a child uh, that is going to be born. And that child was to be born to a young couple named Mary and Joseph, uh, that, that Mary was a virgin was, but was miraculously pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the time comes along when Mary is very, very pregnant Uh, And Caesar Augustus issues a decree that says, hey, a census has to be taken of the entire Roman world, which meant you had to travel back to the area that you were from. You had to go back to your hometown to be counted. And so uh, Mary goes along with Joseph to the the city, the town, the village of Bethlehem, again, being very, very pregnant, making a long journey on foot or maybe a donkey. There's actually no donkey, but we pretend that there is. I don't know. It's a weird thing. But they get to Bethlehem. And I like to imagine that when they get there, the, room, the, the, the village is packed and they were kind of later than getting there than anybody else because if you were very, very pregnant, it would take you longer to get there than other people as well, but they get there and the village is packed. There's nowhere for them to stay from all the people who have come in to be registered during this census. And, and so I can imagine them frantically knocking on doors, can we stay here, can we stay here, can we stay here? They find nothing and finally somebody says, hey, you can, you can stay out basically in the barn or where we keep the animals. A lot of times we'll say the manger, although the manger isn't the the physical structure. The manger actually refers to the the feeding trough that they laid Jesus in as like his crib. But some sort of area where, where animals are kept, you know, whether that been something they built out of, you know, wood or structure like that, uh, a lot of scholars think it was probably like a cave or, that's kind of hollowed out or dug into the, the side of a hill. For, for those of you that we, we have a lot of this in our area, like in the country, you see an old, like, mounted up hill root cellar. Like, you kind of picture that as being the place. Regardless of where it was, it was cold. It was, it was very humble beginnings. And it's in that place that Jesus is born. And we read kind of this famous line that she gave birth to her, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger. And it's at that point, it's at that moment that Luke, who is recording these events for us, where he cuts that scene and shifts to another one. And he begins to describe some shepherds. And here's how he records it. Luke chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, in the same region, so the same area where Jesus was born, just a little ways away, there are shepherds staying out in their fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. All right, so we're ready to put ourselves in the shoes of the shepherds. You're a first century shepherd out in your field, and, and maybe you're thinking, sweet, this sounds like a really good gig, because I know the Christmas story. Shepherds play a really big role. It's awesome to be a shepherd. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of knock you down a few notches and say in the first century, it was not awesome to be a, a shepherd. You may already know this, so it'll be a reminder, or maybe this is your first time hearing this, but shepherds at that time and in that place were about as low on the, the social rung as you could possibly be that socially they were outcasts, they were outsiders, and also religiously they were outcasts and outsiders, that nobody wanted shepherds around. Uh, in, in culture in general, shepherds were the kind of people, they were seen as dishonest, they were seen as criminals, they, they were seen as, as kind of having suspect characters. Shepherds were the kind of people, if you're walking down the road with your family, you're like, come on, kids, let's go to the other side of the street, there's some shepherds coming. Honey, lock the doors, the shepherds are out. Okay? Like, it's that kind of a feeling. We don't trust them. We don't want them around. And then religiously, there were also a, a similar kind of dynamic going on where they weren't welcome. For the Jewish people, uh, there was to, to worship, you had to be ceremonially clean. You had to be a certain way. You could become unclean by coming in contact with things. And, and so shepherds, by the nature of their job, were often in circumstances and in situations where they would be ceremonially unclean. So they were not welcome to come into to worship and to go to the temple. Outside of society, outside of the religious system, they weren't welcome anywhere. Nobody wanted them. They were the lowest that you could possibly be. And it's just, they were, they were almost even used because society needed sheep. The temple system needed sheep. And we want what you offer us, but we don't want you. These are the shepherds. These are the people who this message comes to. That's who I want you to put yourself in the shoes of tonight. And in fact, these shepherds, they become a, really a, a living, breathing commentary on the very people that Jesus came for. The people that, that as Jesus, as he becomes a man, he begins doing his ministry, he man, he starts going up to all the people who society has said, We don't want you, you have no value, you have no worth, you're too broken, you're too messed up, nobody cares about you. Jesus says, I do, come follow me. And the shepherds become this first picture of this. It was, it was an idea that challenged the values of culture and religion of their day, and it should ours as well. But that's us in the story, okay? We're we're there, we're the shepherds. We're some nobodies just out doing what we'd always done before. We're in our fields. It's nighttime, and I want you to, to picture this. And When I say it's there and it's nighttime, I mean it's nighttime, it is dark. It is dark. It's not like we have now where there's light pollution. There would be no light other than maybe you got a little fire going, or potentially if it's a clear night, you have the light of the stars. And you're out, and this is your view, and this is what you do, And not only is it dark, but just imagine the stillness of the night. How quiet it would be. Nothing but the sound of maybe a fire crackling, a gentle breeze coming by, the distant bleating of your sheep. And there you are, just doing what you always do, doing what you have done hundreds, if not thousands of times before doing what you probably thought you would be doing for the rest of your life. I mean, shepherding on the outskirts of society, that was your reality. That was your reality in the past. That was your reality in the present. That would be your reality in the future. All you ever been and all you ever will be is just a shepherd that nobody wants out doing your job. And unbeknownst to you, that was all about to change. Unbeknownst to you that the world in your life is about to change in that moment forever. Luke tells us this, that just then, an angel of the Lord shone Stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And Which, by the way, you would be too, and so would I. Okay, I don't know exactly what it looks like or sounds like when an angel of the Lord shows up in the glory of the Lord shines around you, but I would imagine it makes quite an impact in a dark, quiet Judean night, right? And I would imagine terrified is the right word, or if you've watched the Peanuts Christmas special this year in the words of Linus, that you would be sore afraid, because that's how he puts it, right? And you're just like flipping out, what is happening right now? And so the first words out of the angel's mouth to the shepherds is, first off, don't be afraid, okay? Don't freak out, don't freak out, it's gonna be okay. But I love that the angel doesn't stop at just don't be afraid. The angel wants to take the shepherds from the polar opposite of afraid. If afraid is over here, I wanna take you to the farthest end that way as possible because I have an announcement for you. I proclaim good news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That today in the town of David, we're not getting to that part yet, good news of great joy for all people. Good news. Good news. It comes from this Greek word. Uh, the word is euangelion. It's a compound word. Uh, the first part, eu, means good. Angelion means announcement or declaration. So if there's a, a good announcement, a good declaration, it eventually over the years, this comes down through translations in and out of different languages, and one of them stuck this word. My pen died, so we'll see how good I can write it with my finger. The word gospel. Gospel. We talk about the gospel. We're talking about the good news that was proclaimed. I have good news for you. And you can actually take that word uh, gospel, that euangelion, and you can turn it into a verb. You can turn it into good newsing or good proclaiming or good declaring. And that's what we're translating here as proclaim. And so there's like a double good news coming at these shepherds. The angel's like, hey, I'm good-newsing you good news. I'm good-proclaiming you a good proclamation. I'm good-declaring to you a good declaration. I'm, the, the, the verb is euangelizo, so I'm euangelizoing you the euangelion. I'm declaring of good news the good news to you. The verb form of good news here, this, this proclaim, is used 11 times in the gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four accounts of Jesus' life. Ten of those 11 are found in the gospel of Luke. Luke has an agenda, and he's not hiding it. Luke's agenda is to communicate to the world, to communicate to people then and now that this good news is to be shouted from the rooftops, that it is to be proclaimed. Why? Because, as he says, it is for all that the reason we're declaring this good news and speaking this good news is because it's for everyone. Every single man, woman, and child on the planet then until now, this good news is for including you and me. So, hey, shepherds, sorry to interrupt your life, except really sorry, not sorry. Sorry to kind of freak you out a little bit, but I've got really good news to tell you. And I would imagine they're probably thinking, okay, okay, tell me what the good news is, because, you know, angel showing up has never happened to me before What exactly is this good news that you are good newsing to us? Verse 11, that today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. In this this one sentence, this one statement by the angels to the shepherds, recorded by Luke, passed down throughout history to us, in this one sentence, the good news is summarized. The good news is the fact that a Savior has come. The Savior has come. And that Savior is, he is for all people. And I think that, that, that rings true in two different ways. One, if the good news is that a Savior has come and the good news is for all people, that should communicate to us that all people are worth saving and that nobody is beyond saving. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody's too hopeless. Nobody is a lost cause because there's a Savior for all people. But what that also tells us is not only is as is, is nobody beyond saving. It also tells us if this good news about a savior is for all people. It tells us that all people need a savior, that me and you and every person on the planet needs a savior, that nobody is perfect, nobody gets it all right, nobody's got their life entirely together, nobody has ever you know lived a perfect life and never messed up. We all have our issues, and in the in the. The mind of the biblical authors, the the narrative of Scripture tells us that that thing that we need to be saved from is this this three-letter word called sin. It's not a word that we use very often, right? It's basically just a religious word. The only time you ever use the word sin is in a church context. In fact, if you use that in your day-to-day life, you start talking to your coworkers about, yeah, I've sinned the other day, you're going to get a really weird look, okay? Like, like, we don't talk like that. We put, like, religious... connotations around it, but really the, the, the word that gets translated as sin, it simply means to miss the mark, to miss the target. It, it's a word that was often used to talk about somebody firing an arrow, that you have a, a target that you're aiming for and you've missed. The idea throughout scripture is that there is something that humanity was made to be that you and I were created to do something, to be something, that, that there's a certain way that we're supposed to live and act and operate and relate to the world around us and relate to other people and we continually just missing the mark to the left, to the right, too high, too low. Like we can't hit the mark. We keep on sinning. That we can't hit the mark in these different areas. There's a, there's a brokenness in the relationship between us and God, between us and each other, between us and ourselves, like that inner life that's going on within us and even between us and the creation around us. is broken. And scripture comes along and tells us that that sin has a natural consequence, that it leads to something. And there's a cause and effect that sin always leads to death. And honestly, even if you're not a, a religious person, you wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian, I think our life experience, if we're being honest with us, tells us this, that when sin enters into my life, things tend to die. There's immediate consequences, long-term consequences, that sin has a tendency of killing relationships in my life. It has a tendency to kill my my character. It has a tendency to kill my reputation. It it kills opportunities. It kills my mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health. And that ultimately, in the long run, sin kills me physically. I hope that's not a news flash to anybody here tonight, but we're all going to die. Hopefully not anytime soon, but we are all going down that road where that is the destiny. And ultimately, sin kills us spiritually and eternally because it separates us from the author of life, the sustainer, the giver of life, God himself. And so we have this this problem and these angels are like, hey, really good news, your problem is sin that leads to death, the Savior has come because this child will grow up to be a man, fully God, fully man, die on a cross for the sins of the world, to take that payment, to take that penalty, to take that punishment off of us, raised from the dead on the third day, thus defeating the power of death once and for all. And if we are in him, if we tie ourselves to him, we are saved from sin and death. That's good news. The the, the thing that has been plaguing humanity for all of human history, sin and death, finds its solution, its resolution, it's it's in the person of Jesus. But not only is he a savior, because sometimes we stop there like, good, I came to Christmas, I heard about Jesus being my savior, peace, I'm out of here. But Jesus doesn't just want to save us and leave us alone. That he's not like a cosmic vending machine that we, we push, boom, I went to church, did a couple things, can I get my little, you know, my, my little salvation energy bar and, and walk on He's like, no, 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 I'm not just the Savior. I, I want to actually do something in your life that the angels say he's the Savior who is the Messiah and the Lord. Those two words, Messiah and Lord, communicate one very important thing, that Jesus is the King. This is why we call him the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. He's the King of the universe. He's the King of the world. That the Messiah was this promised one to the Jewish people who would come and to redeem his people. He would be one who is a king in the line of David and reign eternally, to usher in God's kingdom. And so Jesus is our savior, yes, but he's also our king. He is the ultimate authority in the world and in our lives. He is the one who says, I have a direction for your life. Come and follow me. I am in the one who is in control. I am in the one who is going to orchestrate history according to my purposes and bring this final resolution to pass. And unlike kings and rulers and powers and structures of the world around us, Jesus is the antithesis of that. He is the polar opposite of what we think when we think king and power and ruler. It's interesting that as this is happening, the king is born as as a baby without a home in a manger with animals, the true king of the world, while the the king of the world in everybody else's mind was sitting in a palace in Rome with Caesar Augustus. And you have this juxtaposition of the two. The true king is humble. The true king is born in this manger. Jesus becomes a picture of what a real power looks like, of what justice actually looks like, of what real love actually looks like. The God of eternal glory, born as a humble baby. The God, the King who reigns in justice in righteousness and love and mercy and goodness forever. And so it's good news that a Savior and King has come. The Savior who takes away our sin. The Savior who has defeated death and offers us life. And the King who reigns eternally. The King who has ushered in his kingdom and one day is coming back to bring it fully to bear. Where there will be no more sin, no more evil, no more pain, no more sadness, no more death. Good news, the Savior and the King has come, and He's for everyone. He's for everyone. The angels continue, says, This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel. And so now we've gone from one angel to like there's a whole angel choir. There's all these angelic spiritual beings that just show up. And so if the, if the shepherds weren't scared before, they might be now. All of these angels show up and they start praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, in peace. On earth to people he favors, glory to God! Glory to God for what has just happened. This child is born. Who this child will be? What this child will do? The most glory that God can ever receive and has received is what has happened in the person of Jesus. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And what does that mean for people here on earth? It means peace. It means peace. We think peace, and we think primarily. Well, the first thing we think is the absence of conflict. That peace means something is missing. Conflict is missing, strife is missing, war is missing, anger is missing. We think that's, that's peace, but in the biblical narrative, peace is so much more. It's not about the absence of something, it's about the presence of something. It comes from the Hebrew concept and word shalom, which means wholeness. That things that were broken are brought back together and made whole. That things were broken are now healed. That this idea that there was a brokenness in our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with the world around us, it was broken, but it can be healed and made whole. This idea of peace, it becomes a stand-in or a synonym for salvation. And so the message is, hey, there is peace, there is wholeness, there is healing, there is salvation to anyone, to all of the people that he favors, which leaves the question, okay, well, who does he favor? And who he favors is a statement on what has just been said before about the good news that the Savior and King has come. The people that God favors are not the people that work for that or strive for that or somehow try to attain it or live the perfect life. They're the people who say, oh my gosh, there's good news. The Savior and King has come. I want him to be my Savior and my King. I wanna submit my life to him. And the message of the gospel is when you do that, you experience Peace, salvation, wholeness, and healing. The gospel message, the message of Christmas, what we celebrate, not just tonight, but all year round, day after day, week by week, when we gather as a church, when we sing his praises, we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate that there is good news that is for everyone, including us. And that the good news is that the Savior and the King was born. The Savior and the King has come for us. And that good news has been realized today. But When the angels say today, it's not, it's not like, a, like we think of today as being a specific set time and, and, and date and place. We're like, okay, 2,000 years ago, what time was Jesus born? Was it the morning? Was it at night? It seems like it was maybe at night. I don't know really what's going on. That's not what the angels are talking about. They're not saying, hey, just today he was born. It is a statement of saying a new day has dawned. It is a new day. It is a new age. It is a new era. Something has happened at one point in time and place in history that cannot be undone, and it has run throughout history and will continue to run forward, that the age of the king has come, that the messianic age is is here, that the kingdom of God is breaking into our present and current reality. And from that moment on in history that all people everywhere were invited to experience the good news that the Savior and king had come and to not just believe it and not just think about it, but live in light of that. To live in light of like everything about my day-to-day actions and everything about who I am and what I do has been changed because of this good news. From shepherds in a field 2,000 years ago to you and I sitting in this room tonight, the invitation is to not just hear the good news, not just have a warm, fuzzy feeling about the good news, but to receive and accept that good news as good news for us because it is a good news that we all so desperately want. Even if you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, there's something that longs within all of us to say, there's gotta be something that's gonna make all of this life and world better, right? There's a good news that we all so desperately want that we all so desperately need. And this is a good news that lasts. Can I just tell you that this gospel truth, this message has stood for 2,000 years? This good news has actually survived wars it has survived empires, not just survived empires, it's actually toppled empires. This good news has survived oppression and corruption. This good news has, has flourished in both prosperity and in famine. This good news is greater than life or death. It has freed billions of people throughout history. And here it stands tonight. It stands tonight, tonight, just as it was 2,000 years ago, just as that will, it will be 2,000 years from now if our king doesn't return before then that nothing can stop it, nothing can change it, nothing can defeat it, because today, the Savior and the King has come. The only question that remains for us is do we accept the good news as good news for ourselves? Do we live in light of that and say, okay, this isn't just a nice story or something that happened, but it actually impacts my life and it impacts my reality. Will you let it change you? Will you embrace that future of peace, of healing, of wholeness, of salvation, that God extends to you. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that when we come back in January. What does our future look like in light of the gospel? And we're gonna talk about how can we actually step into that? Uh, so I wanna invite you back for that on January 7th. But for tonight, for now, for this Christmas season, my hope and my prayer and my desire is that you would simply know that Jesus, the Savior and the King of the universe, has come. And it's good news for everyone, including